0: I wanted to spend a little bit of time with you today talking about data. Not necessarily big data, although big data is a part of it. But the conversation today is really going to be doing a couple of things. We want to be able to take a look at what this thing called data is starting to do to our practice. But I have a secondary theme that I want to wrap into this conversation. Because I want us, and I want to thank Wendy Shapiro for this, where's Wendy, Um, when we were talking about this last night. Talking about data, analytics, and what it's going to do in our practice has ended up shifting the way that we have to think about how some of these innovations are going to tip in our organizations. So I want to make sure that as I'm talking today, you understand that I will not be as creative or as eloquent in my search for looking at the horizon. I'm tending to look at things for the next quarter, for the next six months for how we can actually take some of the big ideas that are on the walls here and turn these things into solutions that matter to our stakeholders, our students, our faculty, and our institution. So to start this, I'm going to start with an eye chart. For some of you, this might be quite familiar. Others of you, this might not be so familiar. I'll tell you that this is something called the Gartner Research Hype Cycle. I do have permission to use this. I know many of you are going to be taking pictures of this, and the one thing I would ask is to just be mindful that if you publish this, that um, they'll probably come find me, but that's okay. Um, But I do have permission to use this because the folks at Gartner are actually quite interested in the types of conversations that folks like us have, and so I have actually worked with them about using this. What this cycle does, and what this map is, is a chart, and it has identified IT innovations that are coming at all of us in the education space, whether we are ready for it or not, whether we like it or not. What I want to do is to draw your attention to the bottom of this graph. You will notice that there are five stages of innovation. You'll see that great big curve. This is a scientifically derived chart that was labeled in a whimsical way because, in fact, what we were talking about here is something that almost every single innovation goes through on its way to adoption. The five stages would start with a technology trigger. So every one of those little dots on this chart represents a technology that has triggered, that has captured people's imagination, has captured the market's attention. As you see it go up to the very tip, the peak, you will see the label at the bottom. This is known as the peak of inflated expectations. This is usually the point when people have been so excited about something that they go wild. Can we spell MOOC? Actually, MOOC, as you might notice here, MOOC is a blue dot about three-fourths of the way up the side of that uh, left side of the curve. But as you get to the peak and you start sliding down into that right side, that lower right side, you find yourself sliding into what is known as the trough of disillusionment. And this is usually when you discover that, in fact, that technology that you thought was going to make Everybody in your institution, the smartest, bravest, best person in the world, didn't necessarily do everything that you thought it was going to do. So yes, we all slide into the trough of disillusionment, and I'm going to point out to you that the the things at the bottom, at the trough of disillusionment right now, include things like um, uh, second life. It doesn't mean it's gone, but what it means is that all of the excitement from a couple of years ago, where it was up at the very tip, Well, it didn't do everything we wanted it to do. It wasn't quite as cool. It didn't necessarily solve the problems, and it wasn't as easy to work with, and eh, maybe there's other things, and I'm as distracted, and now i got to go do something else. But once you get through that, and once you've tested these ideas, and you're able to pull it out of the trough, you find yourself going up the slope of enlightenment. The slope of enlightenment is the point where you have become somewhat smarter. You are a little bit wiser, maybe a little sorrier about some of your investments, but in fact, you have discovered the, the truth in your ways, the things that work for you, which then brings you to the plateau of productivity. So in spite of the fact that this is somewhat tongue-in-cheek, just about every single technology innovation, every single technology trigger goes through through some version of this by virtue of how we are excited, we are engaged, we want to test it, we discover some of the tests don't work. We try other things, you discover what does work, and we move on from there. There's a little red circle there called big data. Big data has captured our imagination. How many people here find themselves hearing about big data? All the time, all the time, all the time. There's a little secret. Most of us are not going to be doing a lot of immediate work with big data because big big data is not every single thing we do with numbers. I'll come back to that in a little bit. But the idea of using numbers to make decisions about our practice is absolutely something that none of us are going to be able to avoid going forward. And I'd like to shift gears just a little bit from this into some of the ways that we want to look at big data as an example of an innovation that's on its way, that's been triggered, and then take a look at a use case of how some of this is starting to come together as a real-life project. So education in the new normal, what I wanted to do is to actually go back to something that was nowhere near as inspirational, perhaps, as some of the citations of others. But what I had, what I was working from, was something known as the Higher Education Legislative Recap in the West. And what this was was a survey. It was actually going on in state legislatures around the Western United States. The Western Interstate Commission actually works with the 15 states. If you drew a line from Minnesota to the, to the uh, west side of Texas and everything west, Those would be the states served by the Western Interstate Commission. We are one of four interstate compact organizations formed by the US Congress to deal with issues of educational equity across the United States. Formed about 60 years ago, a lot of the work over the last 40 years has really been looking at this thing called technology. And in fact, WCET was founded 25 years ago to deal with really pragmatic issues of how the heck are we going to be able to take our digital signals and cross what's known as a long-distance telephone line. We were, not able to take, we were not able to take the signals from our computers and our telephones and our televisions and actually cross a state line or cross a regional line because of regulatory issues. So things as simple as that got us started looking at technologies. And I will tell you that some of the things that we are finding now within the commission are not necessarily the things that we have been talking about here today. And I think this is important because these are the things that people are striking laws now on these issues. So while we're talking about where we're going to go in the future, I'm sort of worried about what's going to happen up in North Dakota next year. So we're looking at things like post-secondary finance. We're looking at things including outcomes-based funding. Many states have moved to funding their higher education institutions based on how well they perform. And you might say, but but how can we do that? And I will say, well, that's what analytics are for. And I'm only sort of saying that tongue-in-cheek get this next bullet. Some of the specific issues that people are looking at coming forward will be focusing on adult learners, school to work transitions, and focusing on workforce development. At the same time, we're really concerned about implementations of common core standards, which for those of us in the United States is really looking at what we're doing in our K-12 schools, providing standards for performance and making sure that these are adopted, which I believe have been adopted now in 45 states. There isn't a real good direct line from those common core standards into the types of things that we do in our post-secondary educational institutions yet. We also recognize that tight budgets are going to be the coin of the realm. This is not going to change. The funding pictures have absolutely changed, and so the push on productivity and flexibility is absolutely in everyone's front of mind. Now, I don't know how many of you have noticed that not once have I said the word technology Not once have I said online learning. (laughs) Not once have I said analytics. But every single one of these loaded phrases up here points us into those directions. So my first comment about this to all of us is thinking about where we want to go and what we may be held accountable to are two very different sets of realities. And so some of us have to figure out what we're going to do to try to say, traverse the tectonic plates as we move from different sector to different sector. So let's take a look at analytics and big data. I circled that. Data matters. Here's one of the reasons why it matters. When the world at large looks at what's going on in online, and they take a look at the online services that we have all come to expect as sort of our way of life, every single one of these depends upon analytics the keystrokes that you put in to personalize the experience that you have with that technology. I've listed a few companies, some of the big ones, that every one of us here is probably very familiar with. And every single one of us here understands that these are the types of environments that are dealing with what is known as big data. Big data talks about unstructured data for the most part. But it also talks about the massive sets of information that are created when we all find ourselves, we as consumers find ourselves going to a particular point where uh, we are performing transactions and those transactions are then recorded. And based on the transactions, based on what you put into that system, it will get smarter and smarter about what you want It's pretty great if you're a consumer and you love the fact that I love the fact that my Christmas shopping was the easiest it's ever been in my life and everybody got their presents on time this year and I had very little to do with it except push my shopping cart button and say, yes, let's get that one. How do I feel about that when it comes to my learning life? Well, I'm not so sure about that. But it's within this context that analytics really are taking the world by storm. When I first looked at this picture, and when I actually sort of started to think about using this picture today, I realized that my first thought was, whoa, we're the ones who are being sort of spun around in the storm. And I've realized, in fact, that these days, I don't necessarily think about analytics as being the storm so much as it is the storm seller that's going to give us a chance to get out of all that stuff that's going to be thrown at us, whether we like it or not, from people who really have no idea what our practice is really don't have anywhere near the types of value constructs that we have for our students and really don't necessarily understand why we care so much about some of the things that we do. So with that, I mean this is an open question for all of us to ponder. Do we believe that analytics are really going to optimize educational experiences? I have a few of the examples of the things that people are talking about as a way in which analytics are going to be applied to transform education, retention, Can we keep students in school longer if we understand their patterns better? We believe we can. Can we keep them on track and on point? We believe we can. Can we help them complete? We believe we can. Can we help them engage more? Well, we might be able to see where they do and where they don't. And as good designers, we might do more of where they do and less of what they don't. Learning outcomes is a little challenging. This is where we all want to go, but I'm going to pose a A dilemma that many of us face. If I were to ask every one of you in this room to give me a definition of a learning outcome, I'm fairly certain I would have about 75 definitions and I'm fairly certain that every one of you would be right. So when you try to quantify qualitative measures and turn them into something that we are willing to bet the bank on that, that's a little uncomfortable for for all of us. So I mention this because while we are excited about the types of opportunities that I believe data is going to give us, the consequences of some of the things it's going to allow us to do are also going to be fairly important considerations, as we've been seeing around the room. So with this, I just want to do a couple quick things. One is to really boil this down into why data is going to matter. We find the information in our institutions. We collect and compile that information. We turn that information into something that we can translate, that we can apply and use. And we use that information to help students. And it's really that simple. I want to tell you a little bit about a project where we're testing some of these ideas. The predictive analytics reporting framework is a project that WCET has been doing with a number of our member institutions. This is a big data project in that we have huge amounts of information that we are processing. It is structured data for the most part right now, but it continues to be very, very large institutional data sets. We asked WCET members if they would be interested in a project, and I have to give credit to Phil Ice who's here, and to Melissa Lane, both of who are members of these project teams, but I'll say that, that Phil Phil challenged us to say, well, what do you suppose would happen if we actually got a whole bunch of schools to contribute all of their de-identified student data and put it into a single data set and do analysis like we were Amazon? And I thought, whoa, what if we could do analysis on our student success like Amazon? That sounds kind of cool. Well, we talked to a few people about this. And uh, they laughed. And they said, you'll never get schools to give you that information, Wagner. And I smiled and said, well, I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. And we kept trying. We tried. And in fact, we got schools to do it. We talked to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation about funding us, they said, well, let's test the idea, you've got six months, see what you can do. So, I'm hearing giggles from the other side of the room because six months to do what we did was a little bit challenging, but what we were able to do was to create a data set from these schools where we applied descriptive, inferential, and predictive techniques to the set to start looking for patterns that would inform us about student loss and momentum. It was really that simple. These are the schools. We have now gone from the six schools where we got this thing to work. We came up with some fairly interesting preliminary patterns. It was interesting enough that we went back to our funding organization and we said, look at what we've got, and they said, would you like to do more? And we said, yes, please. So we got 10 more schools to join us. We now have 16 schools, and I have them listed here by name. There are some schools that have little asterisks next to their names. Those were the six founding partner institutions. For those of you outside the country, you may not see some of the nuance in this, so I will be very explicit about what we tried to do in building this model. We looked for Research One institutions, regional institutions, community colleges, and for-profit schools. We looked for traditional online schools and progressive online schools. We tried to push our understanding of what we were doing online to get 16 institutions that would, in fact, share all this information with us. We currently have just completed the first of our big data polls on last semester's records. We now have close to 2 million student records and 8 million course records that we have aggregated into a single data set that we are able to analyze and, in fact, are doing so as we speak. There are four phases to the work, and I'm not going to spend time working through all the little buttons with you other than to say that what we are trying to do is to really Look at the potential for multi-institutional analysis like this that gives us a different type of lens than looking at records from a single institution, and that's important. We're also looking at variables that cross institutions. It might be interesting for you to know that when we did our first round at the six schools, we only had 33 variables that were common across all six institutions. When you actually got them on a spreadsheet and looked at what they were measuring, they weren't all the same thing. Even grade point is defined differently. So the idea of being able to throw lots of information into lots of data sets and be able to search and do discovery exploratory work, of course you can do that. But the thing that we've been discovering in our work is if you don't have a common data set, common definitions, and a common framework for interpretation, your opportunities to do the predictions we all want to do are going to be compromised. So with that. I just want to take you to what I think is one of the biggest discoveries we've made on this project. There's lots of information that's starting to come out. We actually, this was not my time to tell you about PAR as it was so much what we've been learning about PAR. But the one thing that I think we really have learned is that when you are trying to work with an applied analytics project, there is a secret that we have all learned that is, if you try to go into this without knowing what you're looking for, you will never, ever find it. The answer never emerges fully formed from the mists of Hadoop, in case you were wondering. So, knowing what you're looking for, refining the model, working from common expectations and definitions, and focusing on the end result, which in our case was not worrying so much about the research questions, because you all are gonna be worrying about that if we get this data set to work right. What we're trying to do is to make sure that we have a resource for every one of us in the higher education value chain to be able to focus on the thing that we care about most, which is the success of our students. With that, I'd like to thank you.